0: Once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast, do you really believe God is in charge, fully in charge of everything? Would you bet your life on it? Daniel did on multiple occasions. In the first, failure to both describe and interpret the king's dream meant death. Would you have had Daniel's confidence that God was in control? Lead teacher, Randy Pope, continues the series, The Stand, with this message entitled, Describing to the Sovereignty of God, which covers Daniel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. Thank you for joining us today. Father in heaven, we, uh,
1: we thank you for the great privilege to open up your word right now and be able to find truth that transforms. And we pray that we might have hearts open To our relationship with you, our minds open to the truth of what you want to say so that we might really find truth that sets us free, but not just for our freedom's sake, but that we might serve you in a more honoring way. We would grant, we would ask you to grant that today. And for any here that are our friends that are just seeking to understand a relationship with you, Lord, would you let this be the day that many would come to know you. And we ask all in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I will suggest there are two questions, the answer to which will absolutely radically change the way you will view your most difficult life circumstances. These two issues, coming together, make all the difference in the world. Two questions you can simply answer. Them. Number one: do I believe in the sovereignty of God? Now, we have to explore that further to say, what do we mean by sovereignty? Different people take that to mean different things. We're going to look at that. But number one, is God really in control? Is he sovereign? Number two question is this, do I believe that I'm loved by my Father in heaven? Now, you think about the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught his his people to pray, his disciples to pray, he said, pray this way. And how does he start it? We all are familiar, probably. Even the unchurched among us that are just guests probably have heard the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, right? Our Father. What does that speak to? It speaks to the fact that he cares for us. In heaven, heave on, up above all, above all, which is the word for sovereignty, He's really saying, in heaven, in control. Here is our God who is both caring and capable. It is a rare, rare, rare day of my life that within the first 10, 15 minutes, if not earlier, that I am going to say, my Father who art in heaven, and then pause and think for a minute about how much he cares as my Father how capable he is being in heaven. You think about it, if we don't believe that God really cares, but he's very capable, can do anything he wants to do, that's not going to give us a lot of hope. On the other hand, we think, well, he really cares, but he's not capable. He's just not in control. And he'd love to help me, but he can't, maybe. Therefore, I'm not going to feel so secure. But I'll tell you what, you bring those two together and something powerful happens in your life. Now I'd like as we go through this, you know that I'm speaking with my primary audience being our young people. Uh, many of them might be in our hangar service, some of you here and so forth, but to our children, youth, young people, students, I'm saying I'm thinking about you throughout the entire preparation of this great text that we look at, which called Daniel, Old Testament book of Daniel. We're calling the series The Stand, The Stand. This week, we're talking about the subject of sovereignty. Is God really sovereign or is he not? In fact, I think we need to jump in a little bit to figure out what sovereignty is before we can even look at the text. Let me give you a definition by Webster. Webster says sovereignty is supreme in power. It also says above all others. Good. I think that's okay. Though I am speaking with my primary audience being the young people, I'm going to deviate from that just for one quick minute because I'm going to give you a definition that many of the younger children here will have no clue what I've just read. Some of you adults will have no clue either, I'm sure. But (laughs) it's from the Westminster Divines. The Westminster Confession of Faith defines sovereignty, it's outstanding. I want to read it to you. Here's how it reads. God has all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of himself and is alone in and unto himself, all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. These guys love prepositions, don't they? He is alone, fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom all are things and has most, most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever he pleases. In his sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite infallible, and independent upon the creature. So as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain, he is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men and every other creature whatsoever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require of them. Now, I want to kidify that a little bit. I want to make sure that our youngest here have some idea of what's being said. What it's really saying is this. God's sovereignty means that He alone is sufficient without anybody else. For him to exist, he needs no one. He needs no thing. When we're talking about him being sovereign, we're saying that he is independent from anybody else. He looks to no one or nothing. He chooses what is to be, and nothing can change that. There's no one or nothing, whether it be Satan, people, demons, nothing changes it. When he says it is, it is forever. It is going to be that way. It's simply saying that whatsoever he decides to happen will certainly happen. Now, in saying that, it's going to raise some question about the thing called free will. I want to say as I was a student in my early high school years, I was introduced to, the, for the first time to the idea that God would be sovereign. My first taste of it was very poor. I did not like it. It didn't make sense to me and I didn't think it was even right that God would determine whatsoever comes to pass. Oh, was I to learn how wrong and how glad I am that I was wrong. Because when I realized that God being in control meant that I had now the hope to know that a loving God is caring and controlling what's happening through my life. Doesn't mean that our free will is taken away. In no way does he infringe upon our free will in ordaining whatsoever comes to pass. And I know every person here says, I don't get that. It makes sense. And some are saying, if it doesn't make sense to me, then it can't be. Oh, so wrong. I had to learn we're talking about God versus me. There's a lot of distinction between the two. There can be that which is true in his knowledge that I'll never know. And by the way, we all agree that there are things in this world, the earth that people even know and understand, that you and I will never, never comprehend. And so the reality is God is both a sovereign God and a loving God. And at the same time, he allows our free will. But I'll tell you, if you say, I'm dispatching of either one of them, I'm going to let this one go or that one go, People are not letting, they're not letting the free will go so much as they're, they're or, or the sovereignty. They're, they're saying, well, let me put it this way. They're saying, I don't really buy the sovereignty because it's easy for me to understand free will. Folks, young people, please study, ask, find out the meaning of, because I found, and I think you'll find too, the more you understand God's sovereignty, the greater you fall in love with him and the greater peace in life that you will have. Now, having shared that kind of as a, an intro to it, I think what we're going to have to say is that uh, at some point, we've got to decide, does God determine all things? Does God determine maybe just good things? Or maybe this, does God just determine big good things? He doesn't deal with the little things, the big things maybe, if they're good. Many people think that. There's some people that truly believe God has a vote, the devil has a vote, and then I have a vote. I'm so glad that's not the case. Can you imagine? There would be no certainty. Everything would be called chance. No. We've got a God who is sovereign, who is in control of all, and we're going to see that in the book of Daniel. Daniel. I'll title this message, Ascribing to the Sovereignty of God. And as we do, I want to give you uh, an overview as you turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. We'll be in verse, right at the first verse when we start, but let me give you an overview, very important to understand, to look at a text very briefly. Here's the overview. We've met two weeks already. First is that in chapter 1, we learn there are two cities. There's the city of Zion, and there's the city of Babylon, Zion is often called Jerusalem. Throughout the Bible, those names are used to talk not just about a city, but to talk about a society of people who are in love with God and listen to what God has to say. The citizens of Zion versus the citizens of Babylon. Babylon, a people at this time who have actually captured Jerusalem and taken many to be hostage, to be their own people in exile. And so now we have two societies. This society called Babylon is one that is devoid of the truth of God and doesn't believe God and lives life very humanistically and secularistically and so forth. So now here are two cities, and these two cities are going to wage against each other throughout time. Even into the Old Testament, we see Babylon is called the great harlot. She's so beautiful. She's so attractive. It's talking about the wonder and splendor and all the things that Babylon, the city of this earth, can offer, and I depict it as two ladders. And for you young people, I want you to think of it this way. It's like two ladders. The ladder of Zion is the ladder that we want to focus on, and that's as we grow in our maturity more and more and more into the likeness of him. On the other hand, there is the ladder that is the ladder of Babylon, and kids know, boy, the higher you get on that ladder, the more popular you are. And, and the higher you get on that ladder, boy, the more you can do what you choose to do instead of having to do what other people tell you to do. Oh, you are the one if you can get higher on that ladder. And there are many of us here today, adults and young people alike, who have lived a life being crushed because we knew we could never get very far on that ladder. There are others of you that maybe could or could not get very high on that ladder and said, no, I'm going to this ladder and you've been climbing wherever you are on that climb. You don't feel if I'm not up above somebody else. No, you feel very secure in the love of God. So we keep those two ideas in our mind. The story of Daniel is that there is an appearance that Babylon is winning the battle. It looks like their win, if not already won. They're in charge. It looks that way. But the story of Daniel is not the story about Daniel. It's the story about God. And it's the story that God is sovereign over both cities. To the degree you and I believe that he's sovereign over both cities, now we trust, we have peace, we have hope, even when the worst cloud of despair may come over us. Saying, oh, everything's terrible. Well, not really, because God is sovereign over both cities. That's the point. We went on to teach how God offers the best to those who have the most. So if you're attractive and you're intelligent and you're athletic, let me tell you, you think, boy, look how high and go on that ladder for those reasons. Uh-uh, be careful. Because those who have the best will be offered the most, which means now you're going to live a life of temptation like others may not have. We concluded by saying that Babylon is trying to eliminate the distinctives of the citizens of Zion. And that we have to, I mean, do everything we can to hold tight to the convictions that we have. Now, with that, I've got, to, I've got to share this. Because if we stop there and say, okay, let's look what Daniel did. You're going to get the wrong impression. We tend to think, okay, here I am, and I'm a Christian. I'm of the faith now. I'm in the city of Zion. Therefore, you know, I'm okay. Well, no, you're going to need some maturity to be okay because you're going to have to live in Babylon as a citizen of Zion. And so the process I ended with last week was saying, if we're going to hold fast, we've got to mature through the process. It begins with truth and we get truth. That is so critically important. It starts with truth. But as a believer, we're going to see truth and hopefully we're going to say, I embrace that truth and it becomes a belief. So we believe the truth. And we think, okay, I'm pretty good. Not really. We've got to take a step over here and the belief has got to turn into a conviction. As we mature more and more, it becomes a conviction. And now we can stand up stronger than we normally would. But even there, we're not far enough. We've got to realize that that's going to lead to a behavior That sometimes is dutiful, and that's okay. We do it because it is my duty as a follower, as a citizen, to live in such a way. But we can't stop there. Where we want to do is go further to where we have a passion. And that's where duty turns into delight. And so here's here's this continuum of where we are. And I've said to you young people, and I'll say it again, look, if you're down here in the early stages of this, which if you're young, you are, I'll tell you for sure, you don't want to be running into the very heart of Babylon saying, let me conquer Babylon. You got to be very, very careful. Now, when you get way down here, oh, different story. You see, what's going to happen is there are going to be people down here and they happen to have so much. They're the best. They have the most. And frankly, they don't really care whether everybody else likes them or not. So the temptation comes by people you really don't care about And they tempt you with something you really don't even want to do. Oh, that's easy. I can stand strong. I'm pretty strong. I'll say no to that. But what happens when somebody comes and those people, it means everything to you what they think about you. And what they're asking you to do is something you would long to do. You'd give anything to do. But the citizens of Zion are not supposed to live like the citizens of Babylon. And that's where people of the true faith, maybe who have a belief and even have maybe even a bit of conviction, they find themselves falling and saying, I didn't think that would happen to me. So, what we're trying to do is figure out how do you grow, grow, grow? What you do is you take the truth, and for the rest of life, you let it wash over your mind and your heart. That's why we keep saying, read the scriptures, study the Bible, memorize scripture, meditate on scripture. I'm so thankful and young in the faith, my spiritual mentor said, Look, What's the best thing I can do for my life? They said, memorize on scripture. on scripture. And, and that was just something I was just told to do. And I realized how much that causes truth to become a passion over time. I'm still far from where I want to be, where I need to be. But I'm much further because of that. And the more I wash myself, and as I use the word marinate with the truth, more and more and more. We live life as Christians, and I read a little Bible verse here and have a little prayer here and go about my day and do my deal. Let me tell you, we're not gonna make that progress and we won't stand strong when Babylon really comes attacking us. Now, with that, three truths. I want us to look at three truths that have gotta be believed, understood, and I mean truly embraced if we're gonna persevere as citizens of Zion while in the city of Babylon. So youth, listen to this carefully. Number one, God designs situations in our lives, good and bad, the purpose of showcasing his sovereignty. Now, I'd like to read the whole 13 verses I did in the early service. We had so many baptisms. Let me just tell you the story very quickly. Here is Daniel, a teenager, three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right? We have Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has a as a dream, vision, and all of a sudden he has this picture and it disturbs him. He can't sleep. He doesn't know what it means. And so he says to his leadership, go find the best conjurers, find the best music, uh, magicians, find the people who can interpret dreams, bring them to me. They come to him. And then he says to them, say, now here's the deal. If you can, if you can interpret my dream, then I'm going to bless you royally. If you can't do it, then I'm going to kill you basically the story, all right? And they say, wait just a minute, nobody can come up with the dream and tell you what the dream was. You tell us the dream and we'll interpret. He says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm catching on where you're going. You're trying to trick me. How will I know whether it's true? You tell me the dream and you tell me the interpretation. And they respond to him by saying this, there is no one, there is none of the gods, there is nothing, no one that can figure out that it cannot happen. And they were so very wrong because it is true that, that uh, God can figure that out. And he, I mean, God can give it to his people. In fact, it tells us in the book of Amos that that's exactly what does happen. God says that I reveal my secret counsel to the servants, my, my uh, prophets. So let's look at verses 12 and 13 now. That's kind of a little background to it. 12 and 13 goes like this. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious, gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Now, keep in mind that Daniel and his three friends are included in this group called the wise people, wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Now, see, we've got to put ourselves into this text to understand what Daniel's experiencing. We know the end of the story, at least many of you do, and so, well, of course, Daniel knew God was going to do No, Daniel is about to be put to death, and he knows that. This is as bad as any circumstance any of us here have. And so we're going to need to watch his response, but not just simply so we can respond like Daniel does. We've got to see what is it telling us about God in the midst of these circumstances. So something bad has happened, period. There's no good ending. There's no knowledge what the ending is going to be. But this is what Daniel would know. He would know what Johnny Erickson Tata, many of you know the quadriplegic? Stephen Estes, 17-year-old kid, came to her when she found herself now as a quadriplegic in high school. And he looks at her and he says, we're going to trust God you got to trust God. I know this is hard, but you gotta got to just hear this. And now she writes a book basically defending what he told her. And the statement he said is this, God ordains what he hates to accomplish what he loves. It's a great statement. We see the bad and say, God, if you ordain it, you don't love me. God, how can you allow this to happen? Uh Uh-uh. God ordains the worst of things. And he does here in Daniel's experience so that he accomplished something far, far, far greater. Do we always know what that is going to be? Does it always see the good end? No, I'll address that as we close. But here's Daniel and his peers. They're believing that God will do what he said. Let me close this point by asking this to our young people. What circumstance right now in your own experience are you having that you would say, hmm, What if God were using this to showcase his sovereignty? Maybe at school, maybe in your sport, maybe in your dating relationships, or adults? How about work and finances? What about our kids? What about our marriage? See, we can go through this as Christians and say, I'll live like everybody else and I'll grit it out and I'll make it and somehow I'll, I'll survive. Or we can say, wait, 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 wait. What do I know of God right now as I'm going through it? I granted, I might be way over here and I, I hear that and say, this is so hard. Sure it's hard. I'll tell you this, if and when we can get over here, hard, yes, but very bearable. Because we've got this great confidence God's in control. He's sovereign. He loves me. And yes, he's allowed bad things to happen to me in order that something much better can take place. So in reality, you have the uh, the story of Daniel now. Bad things are happening. That's all we know up to this point. By the way, you know, I think that's why people love Taste of Perimeter so much. You've heard us announce it. You heard it today. They love to hear stories where they see God intervene and accomplish something that could never be happen, and it comes after the worst of circumstances, and then it follows the best with some God doing something. And I think people just long to know that God is sovereign. Now, number two. Number two, God uses the people's faith and prayers in his sovereign plan to provide for his people. You've got to keep this in mind. Okay, God is showcasing his sovereignty. Well, now, how do I respond in terms of using my freedom of choice, what do I do in light of the fact I'm under these circumstances? What do I do? There are two words that summarize I think man's responsibility as taught in our text. I'm gonna use the word presumption and prayer. I'm gonna use presumption uh, to refer to taking for granted something that is truthful, something we believe to be, but hasn't yet happened, something that I'm to do that I have not yet done, I presume upon truth, believing God has asked me to do this, God's called me to do this, God has promised to do that, whatever it may be. Now, in light of that, we're going to be talking in just a quick minute here about foolish presumption versus presumption. But the first word, presumption. This is the story that we see as we come to Daniel two fourteen through 16. It says, then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Ariok, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Ariok, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Ariok informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Now, if he goes before the king and he didn't get it right, He dies. If he doesn't go before the king, he's going to die. He knows that. But he's presuming something right now that God's going to give him this interpretation. I love the, I love the reality that he knew. He knew what God might do. But I can't say, the scriptures don't say that he knew for sure or that he wouldn't fail. It was very possible that he could fail. Do you remember his three friends when they're in the they about to be taken into the to the lion's den? And what did they say? Deny God or deny God? And you and we're not going to deny God. You throw us in with the lions. God will, He will deliver us. They believe that, but God hadn't told them He would. So what did they add? But even if He doesn't, we're fine. That's presumption. A false presumption is where you put other people at risk, you put God's reputation at risk, you do foolish things. No, 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 no. This is where you say, This is what I believe God's called me to do. I have good reason. It could hurt me, but I'm of the confidence that if I do that which I believe to be the will of God, I do it with right motive, I can still fail. Unless God has promised specifically in His Word to the detail about that event. Most of the cases, He hasn't. We can fail. But remember this, we're always better off because of the failure. That's the teaching of Scripture. Presumption, faith, live in faith. Can you be martyred as you're living in faith? Yes, you can be martyred. Will you be better off? Yes, you're better off. That's the teaching of Scripture. So just for you young people, a few stories out of my youth. I was learning this idea of presumption. And trying to figure out God, okay, you got to spend time with Him listening, assuming this is what God would have. And when I was, when I was in college, uh, you know, I really felt I spent a lot of time praying, and I had this strong sense God was saying, I want you to go to New York City. And this was in the days when New York was not a safe place. You kids can't even understand this, older people can, but it's a dangerous place. And I went to my parents, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm going to ask my parents, I know they're so conservative, they're going to say no, and that means I'm out because I'm going to obey them. But if they say yes, I'm going to say that you're calling me to do this. I'm going to go to New York City, and I'm, going to go, I'm not going to take money. I'm not going to take provision. I'm not going to have any contacts. I'm just going to go and live and ask God to use me and see what happens. And when I told my parents that's what I would like to do with six weeks left of the summer after a summer school class that I couldn't get a job now during the rest of the summer, I said, this is what I'd like to do. And I can't understand to this day. They said, yes. And I said, okay, God, I'm going. I got out at Port Authority. No money, no, no provisions, nothing. And I'm telling you, I watched God provide, never went without food, never went without some form of shelter, never went without safety. I mean, it was just, it amazed me what God did. It was a presumption that he had called. Now, maybe I could have gotten beat up and sent back home. Would God still be amiss? Yeah, I don't have to say. But, but there are these occasions where you say, yes, this is the story of Daniel. God did exactly what he thought would happen. But there needs to be presumption. I tell the stories in the, in the uh, Taste of Perimeter. I tell the stories about you know us moving here without money. We presumed that God was going to supply our need. Maybe he wouldn't have. We'd had to move back. Some, who knows what could have happened? That would have been the best, but we presumed it. We thought it was the right thing, and look how God intervened. Come hear the story if you've not heard it. We needed a place to our first facility. Where are we going to get a facility? How would we ever get one? And we had no money. The day was there, the very day. And and so I presumed and went to see a man that I never met, didn't know me, didn't have an appointment, and God through him gave us our first facility that was just unbelievable story. And people hear those stories and say, wow, why do they happen? Because there is a presumption with a deep conviction, I think this is what God would have me do. And I'm doing it with right motive. He's going to honor the presumption. But folks, it doesn't stop with presumption. You've got to add prayer. I think it starts and ends in prayer. But prayer is a big part of it. Look what happens in Daniel 2, 17 and 18. Then Daniel went to his house and formed his friends. And this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with their new names. After the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And so they prayed. They had their prayer meeting. Look at the next verse. It goes like this. It says, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. It took a prayer meeting for it to happen. And so the question that I would ask of all of us as we're walking through our, our biggest shadows right now, whatever they may be, to what degree is there presumption? To what degree has there been prayer? And why would you presume if you didn't believe that God is a sovereign God and you can trust him at his word? Presumption and prayer. The last point, very brief one but important. Believers are amiss not to bless God for his demonstration of his sovereignty. Let's start with verse 19. It reads like this. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So important to bless God. Somebody shared with me in the hall just now after the first service, he said, uh, you read The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom? Yes. You remember the story and told the story? I said, no. But the story was of she and her sister, and they're being detained. They're, they're in prison, and fleas are everywhere. And Corrie's sister, the Nazis are, you know, got them in this concentration camp or wherever, and, and uh, they say... Uh, she says to her sister, these fleas, we've got to get rid of these fleas. These fleas are killing us. I hate these fleas. And her sister, a godly woman, says, no, Corey, we need, to, we need to bless God for these, for these uh, insects, these fleas. Why would we do that? Because God says, bless him in all things. Give thanks in everything. Oh, my gosh! So they prayed and they, gave, they blessed God for the fleas. You know what they find out? That they were able to worship each week Whenever they wanted to worship, they could worship. The guards never came in. You know why? They didn't want to get fleas. And they worshiped there together as those who were Christ followers. Very important. It goes on to say this. Picking up where we left off. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and the hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. He completes the prayer with this 23rd verse. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. God gave him the answer. All that to conclude in saying, we bless God, For our hardest and worst situations, but in so doing, we ask for the very nature of God to manifest those benefits to us. Wisdom, discernment, knowledge. And so he really prays and acknowledges God for the very things that he's experiencing need for in his own life. And in doing so, I'm sure he understood, we certainly should with the scriptures, Colossians 2, 3. I think, solves the mystery for us. It says, Jesus, to whom are hidden all things, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, though God gives us the wisdom and the knowledge and whatever it is we need that we pray for, I don't want you to think it's just like pixie dust that he's going, and now we've got it. Oh, he can convert that on us any way he chooses. But what we have to know is that it is in our union with Christ that we do get his wisdom and his discernment and his knowledge. And that's the mystical union that Scripture talks about, Christ in us. Kids, it's not me for Christ. It's Christ for me. Therefore, I can be for him. It always starts with what he does in us, not what we do for him. And so let's keep in mind as we pray that God wants to give you wisdom and discernment in the worst of your conditions, and he wants us to bless him for it. That is a first step of presumption. And then ask God for whatever you want to ask him for. Knowing he may do it that way, he may choose a different way. But he's sovereign and he loves you. You can't lose Some of these things we're not going to ever see a good answer to. It could very definitely happen. But I'll guarantee you this. One day on the other side of heaven, we're going to say to him on those situations, oh, God, thank you that you never did what I was begging you to do. I now see your control and your love. Then we will bless him fully, right? Would you allow me to lead you in blessing God? for the worst of your situations right now, and mine as well. And then we'll ask God, would you give us the wisdom, the discernment, everything necessary to thrive through the very most difficult circumstances that we have? Let's bow. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we first want to bless you. We bless you for who you are, the God of wisdom and discernment, power, You're everything we need. And we thank you. If you indwell us now, we thank you that we have that union with you and those things are for us now to be received. For some of us here, we're not in the faith and and we're wanting to say, God, I want to be of the faith. Would you now show them your great love? Convince them that if you spared not your own son for them, how would you not give them all things? May they come into the kingdom even now and be citizens of Zion. Father, I want to pray that you would now hear us say something that some of us have not yet said, and it's been long overdue. We want to bless you for the very worst thing we're going through right now. And we're doing it just in presumption that you're who you are, you claim to be, you'll do what you claim you'll do. So we're going to trust you for that. We're going to ask you now that you would... Change those situations because we don't know better, and we would assume that maybe it's not the best thing, and if not, we want to ask you to take it away and use it for a season and then renew us and give us new hope and joy. but whatever the case, God, let us know that we've been faithful to you, that we bless your name. So God do a wonderful work in us. May these young people of this church, may they be a unique people turning into adulthood who, like none others, might say, "I truly believe." in your sovereignty, and I believe in your love. Give us that at least. That's what we need. We thank you, and we pray in the great name of our Savior, Jesus.
0: Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.